Let's pray this morning. Lord God, I thank you that we can gather. I thank you that we can gather and we can declare the praise that you rightfully deserve. Lord, you are worthy of our praise. Lord God, I ask that you would give us ears that listen. Give us hearts that are receptive to hearing from you. What I share this morning is not me. God, I share you. I share what you have revealed to us in your word. And so my desire is that myself included, that we would come and we would want you to speak today. Please move in power among us by your spirit. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Today I want to take you to a place that is rather secretive. Are you with me? I want to take you to a place that is rather secretive. That is, this is a place that you actually know of. You know this place really, really well. But you can hide this place from everyone else around you. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know what place I'm talking about? I'm referring to your mind. I'm referring to your mind. You see, you know your mind really well. And probably like me, there's times where you're a little bit embarrassed (laughs) by what's going on in your mind. But you're able to hide that from other people. You know, we can come in here, we can come into church, and we can have all sorts of things going through our mind, but we can hide that from everyone else. So if we don't let anyone know, they don't know what's really going through our mind. They don't know the thoughts that are circling our mind. The mind is capable of thinking all sorts of things. And honestly, the mind does think all sorts of things, especially when we leave it unharnessed. You know what harnessed is? I think of a horse. You know, like when you harness them, you do that to control it. But when a horse is unharnessed, man, they just go wherever they want. This last week, we had uh, my daughter had a friend over, and she has horses, and they got out. And she was saying how hard it is to get those horses back into the pen. Why? Because if you run up to it, you'll, you'll spook them out, and they'll just take off running. And so you've got to just kind of gently go up to them and just kind of like win their approval. And then put the harness back on and lead them back into the pen. Your mind, if it is unharnessed, it goes all over the place. And it's dangerous where it can go. You know this. Whether you admit to this is another thing. 
but you know this to be true. What is going through your mind right now? What is going through your mind right now? When I was in college, one of the things that, one of the classes I took in helping us prepare to put messages together, the professor was saying, when you speak to an audience, everyone comes with something on their mind. And then our goal is to funnel that down so that we are thinking about the same thing. But we have to understand that's really tricky because my mind has spent this last week thinking about where we're going and your mind has not been there yet. And I'm trying to take you to where I want you to go. But you come here and you're thinking, huh, I wonder what we're having for lunch today. And if you weren't thinking that yet, you're thinking it now. And maybe you're getting hungry right now. Oh man, he just talked about food. Now I'm getting hungry. Or maybe you're thinking about, hey, we're having a meeting after this. I wonder what kind of big project he's talking about. What's, what's, what are we, you know? Or, or maybe you're thinking about something from this last week, a conversation that you had or something that bothered you this last week and your mind is stuck on that and you cannot release that. You cannot move beyond it. Your minds are all over the place. Your mind, again, is so powerful. I want to ask you this question here as well. What you're thinking about, what you have given thought to this last week, are you pleased with what you thought on? Or are you embarrassed by the thoughts that came into your mind And I don't know how much we can really control the thoughts that come into our mind. So take that a step further. Are you pleased or embarrassed by how you entertained the thoughts that entered your mind? You see, because thoughts come into your mind and then you have this choice. Am I going to play with this one? Or not? Is this based in truth or falsehood? What do I do with this thought? The mind is powerful. Psychology and neuroscience attempts greater understanding of it. And we certainly are learning more about the mind all the time. And it's fascinating. But all of this study only drives home the point all the more. The human mind is powerful. It's extremely powerful. Take your Bible. Turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, we spend today, and then next week is our last week in Philippians. Um, Philippians chapter 4, and today I would like to just focus on two Short verses, verses 8 and 9. But I, these, what, what Paul conveys here, I feel like it's packed. And I feel like it is almost a standalone message that we need to just take, accept, 
digest it. We need to wrestle with it. We need to think about it. And, and, and so I want to look at these two verses alone. So just read these verses along with me. Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. It says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Just those two verses there. There is a statement in here that Paul makes in verse 9 that I want to to just briefly draw short attention to because it's not the thrust of my message. It says this, verse 9, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put that stuff into practice. Put that into practice. Okay, so so Paul is, is writing this thought that he's actually communicated before. In chapter 3, verse 17, Paul says these words, Join with others in following my example. Paul talks about imitation. We should choose carefully who we imitate. Do you recognize that you, know it or not, are imitating people from your past? People who have had a had a great influence on you, your family, your parents, for good or bad, put a huge mark on you. That, that we just, sometimes we want to run from it. Sometimes we want to embrace it. Most of us want to embrace some of it and not all of it. But here's what I'm saying. We are imitating people. And Paul is driving home this point again. You are an imitator. Imitate the right people. And I think in the context of where we're going today, consider the people that you're imitating. And though we cannot see again what people are thinking. Did you catch what passage Seth read this morning? Out of the overflow of the heart, what speaks? The mouth. You want to know what's going on in a person's heart? Just take a moment and listen to how they talk. And you have an indicator of what is going on in their heart. You see, our mouth cannot help but evidence the heart. Because Jesus was saying that The things that are going on in the the heart just have this bubbling effect. It just overflows. You can't suppress it. You can't keep it in. And there's times where we try to keep it in. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Why did it come out? Because your heart is indicating something that you are wrestling with and something that you have not released. And so it came out in an ugly display. And how did we find out? Because of the mouth. So here's what I'm saying in this context. 
you know a person's heart or you have an indicator of a, of a person's heart based on what they're saying, based on what comes out of their mouth. Based on that, who are you imitating? The people that you are imitating, what is their mouth like? Because again, their mouth is an indicator of their heart. Okay, I'm moving on because that is not the thrust of this message. But I think that's why Paul links this here to where he's going. So step back. Not that far, but step back to verse 8. Paul says this word, the very first word. What is it? Finally. He says the word, finally. Do you recognize this word from Paul? He said this word before in chapter 3, verse 1. He said, finally. And then he, like a good preacher who doesn't know when to stop, he just keeps on going. Finally, and then he rattles on a bunch more things. And here again, he says, well, I've said that already once, but I'll say it again. Finally, again, I'm, I'm going to try to conclude this. Oh, finally. And, and so Paul is saying again, finally. And then what's, what's the next uh, words here? It's not on the screen. It's on my screen. It's, it's the words, brothers and sisters. Your, your translation probably says just brothers. If, if it says brothers, the idea is brothers and sisters. This is not just men. This is not just males. No, this is family. This is children. This is brothers and sisters in the family of God. Okay, so ladies, you're not off the hook here. You can't, well, that's just for the men. No, this is for you too. This is for all of us. And what does brother indicate? How many of you have a brother? Just raise your hand. Majority of you have a brother. It, it was almost all. I, I couldn't tell. It was, man, like almost every hand went up. I understand brothers pretty well because I grew up with two of them. I've got two younger brothers. Had no sisters. So it was really special for me when I got married to my wife, Kelsey, and then had a sister. Now, though she's my sister-in-law, it was really special that I all of a sudden had a sister. And in the last 10 years or so, we've been married for 21, almost 22 years. In the last 10 years or so, when my sister and I converse, she will a lot of times text me the words, I love you, brother. And, and I will respond, I love you, sister. Because there's this, this th these, are, these are like terms of endearment. This is, I care for you. And when she says that, what does it do to me? It, it warms my heart. This is you communicating, you're my brother. Well, I'm your in-law, but she's saying you're my brother. You're my brother. And wow, it just, it just warms my heart so much because I've never had a sister to speak those words. But I have a sister now. Now I have four sisters. I have four sister-in-laws. Um, 
she, but this sister-in-law, sister-in-law is the only one that says that. She speaks in those, those terms. Brother, I love you. And there's a sense of, like, I care for you. So I think Paul, again, who is writing in this very affectionate way, is saying to the believers in Philippi, finally, brothers and sisters, there's this, this it's a ter- term of endearment. Like, you're my family. And so it's, it's brothers and sisters. And again, sister. Sister is, um, is implied here as well. When I was in college, I had an accountability group with a couple of guys who all stood up with me at my wedding. And one of the questions that we would ask each other every week, we met every Sunday night in my dorm room. One of the questions that they would ask me and I would ask them was this question. How are you treating your sister? What do they mean by that? They, they, they meant, see, remember, I'm the guy that had no sister. They, they meant, how are you treating the females in your life? How are you treating the ladies that God has has allowed to be in your life. How are you treating them? Are you treating them like they're your sister? Or are you just treating them as, this sounds bad because, because it's bad, are you just treating them like an object? Like, or like, like they're just a person that you just want to date and you just want to take advantage of? No, you need to treat them as they're your sister. Because how would you treat your sister? You're not going to treat your sister disrespectfully. No, you're going to honor your sister. So treat your sister, or treat the ladies in your life as though they are your sister. And in the family of God, they are your sister. And so Paul is saying here, finally, brothers and sisters, so there's a sense of of family, the sense of caring for one another. And then he goes on and he tells us, And he gets really pointed here. And and what does he say? He says, whatever is, and what's the very first word? True. Whatever is true is the very first word. And and if we skip ahead, we understand that, that Paul is saying, these are the things that you are to think on. You need to choose to think on these things. So Paul is saying, whatever is true. It is hard to know what is true sometimes, isn't it? I think it's extremely hard to know what's true sometimes. Why? Because there is so much deception And there are so many lies in our culture today that I don't know if this is actually the truth or if this is just someone's opinion. Is this just how the news wants to report this or is this actually what happened? How much of this is just factual? When I am online, on Facebook or on social media, I am bombarded, as you are too, with a plethora of advertisements of um, philosophy of like thinking a certain thing. This is what's going on. 
And I ask myself, is this true? I don't know all the time. This sounds true. There's times where I think this, this runs with, I want to believe this is true. I don't know if this is really true. I haven't fact-checked this to know. Or I wish this wasn't true, but maybe it is. Or I, I don't know. You see, it's hard to know what's true. Because there is so much diversity of opinion out there. There is a phrase that Jesus gave in Luke 18, verse 8. And don't turn there unless you really want to. Maybe you need to fact check me here. That's okay if you need to do that. <laughs> Luke chapter 18, verse 8. Jesus said something. And the words were this. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? These words have bothered me. Now, I understand that when Jesus asks these words, it is in the context of the persistent widow who came to the judge, this unjust judge, asking for a favor. And Jesus said that she was persistent, and because she was persistent and continued to ask, even though the, the judge was unjust, he would eventually give her what she was asking for. And so Jesus is saying, you should be like the persistent widow, and you should continue to come to your heavenly Father who will give you what is best for you. And then in the context of this, he says the words I just quoted. But when I come back, future tense, like in the future, when I come back, remember Jesus is coming back, in the future when I come back, will I even find the faith? This is a rhetorical question, which means that we can pretty well figure out the answer is no. No. Like, when I come back, will I actually even find the faith? Probably not. I'm not, I'm not saying there will be no faith completely. But will I even find the faith? Probably not. It's a rhetorical question. Probably not. And I've asked myself the question, how does society get to a place where we have abandoned the faith completely? Where we have just thrown it off? And I have thought about this the last two years at least. And the last two years, I think, and I don't know, I wonder if I will still agree with this position in five years from now or not. Or will I argue with myself? But this is where I'm at. I feel as though I'm seeing how we as a society can get to the place where we abandon the faith. Why? Because there is so much truth out there that we don't even know what to think. And so we say, hey, this person has this religious persuasion, and this one has this one, and there's a plethora of other options out there. So guess what? Rather than trying to figure out what to believe, I just reject it all. Guess what the fastest growing religious movement is in America? It's the nuns. It's the nuns. That's spelled N-O-N-E-S. The nuns. It's people that say, I just believe nothing. Why? Because you get to, you can just, 
You can interpret Scripture that way. Man, if there's something that irks me as a pastor, it's this right here. It is where people say, oh, that's just your, that's just your interpretation of that passage. Come on, man. I just read what it said. I didn't invent this. I just read it word for word, and you're telling me that I just put my interpretation on it? I understand that there are passages that can be interpreted in a variety of ways. Yes. But I think that most of Scripture just simply means what Scripture says. And we are the ones who try to wiggle around it because we don't like what it says. And Paul is saying here, you want to know where to start with what you put in your mind? You think about what's true. You think on truth. So can I just ask you, Some basic questions. Is God true? If God is true, then think on God. Is God's character true or truthful? If God's character is truthful, then think on God's character. And has God chosen to Reveal himself to us through Scripture. And is that true? If we say yes, then think on this. Allow God himself and the character of God and the word of God to be the foundation for what we fill our mind with. We've got to move on. What's the second word that Paul says? Paul says, whatever is true, what comes next? You tell me. Noble. That's right. Thank you, Dan. Noble is exactly right. The word here could be also translated honorable. It is the same word that Paul has used to describe Those who serve in leadership at church. People who serve in leadership should be honorable. How do you choose a leader in your church? This is not the only way, but this is one way. A person who is honorable. People in leadership ought to be honorable. And Paul is saying here, you need to think about what's honorable. You need to think about what is noble. Consider the opposite. It's dishonorable. Don't think about things that are dishonorable. Don't think about that kind of stuff. I just, my, my grandmas, both my grandmas have been with the Lord for over 20, well, um, about 20 years, one, maybe 25 years or so. But I, I think about this. If I could have a conversation with my grandma, would she say, Nathan, the things that you're talking about and the things that you're thinking about, those are honorable? honorable? Because usually a grandma knows. <laughs> a grandma knows. And when I was a youth pastor, 
I would sometimes tell the youth I was working with, would you be okay to go have that same conversation with your grandma? If you can't have that conversation with your grandma, chances are pretty high that that's dishonorable. And so if that's the case, maybe you need to harness what you're speaking. And in this case, Paul is saying, harness what you're thinking. Think about things that are honorable. Next word, what's next word? What is it? I heard, I heard it over here, I think, right. Or righteous, yeah. Some of you have different translations. What else do you have? Martha has righteous. Just, thank you. Other words that you might have? That's it. Righteous, just, or right. Okay? Um, so this might sound as though Paul is repeating himself, and I think to some degree he is. What he's doing is he's kind of actually just painting a bigger picture for us to understand the things that we should think about. The opposite of right thinking is what? It's wrong thinking. Don't think about things that are wrong. Don't, don't fill your mind with wrong thinking. And I think that Paul has to tell us this because we are prone to fill our mind with wrong thinking. We are prone to fill our mind with all sorts of things that are the wrong things to think on. Again, how do we determine what is right or what's wrong? Do I choose the standard? Or do you choose the standard? Is it our society as a whole, since we live in the U.S.? It's our society that chooses the standard. Or is it another society that got it right and we don't have it as right? If it's society that chooses what's right or wrong, which society is correct? And again, if it's society that chooses what's right or wrong, which era determined? Which era was it that had the correct discovery of what is truly right and wrong? Do you see how difficult this is? There must be something Someone outside of self that determines what is right. God, I believe, has given us what's right. And I know that every religion is going to claim, well, that's your interpretation. That's, that's hard, isn't it? That makes us think through. God, why do I believe? I'm not here to necessarily preach this part here, but I'm just thinking for myself, why do I believe that this book here is true? I'll tell you in a nutshell, the reason I believe this book here is true is because of Jesus, period. That's it. Because if Jesus came, lived, died, was buried, and was raised again, I will follow. I will follow him. 
Because every other religious movement has an influential person who is in a grave. And not so with Jesus. And so that, in a nutshell, is why I follow this book. And my mind in college thought about, why do I even believe Jesus? And I was impressed by so much history that validates the person and work of Jesus outside of Scripture. Because a skeptic says, well, you're just using the Bible to prove the Bible. And I'm just saying that there is so much outside of the Bible that says, yes, this is worth following. All right. The next word, I need to move a bit quicker here. Um, the, next, the next word is, is pure. Um, pure means it's not tainted with evil. Paul says, think about the things that are pure. Think about things that are not tainted or mixed with evil. Uh, some, some word pictures that I get in my mind when I think about things that are pure. At my house, we have a water filter. I'm so grateful we have a water filter because I have looked at the water filter. I've looked at the filter and I realize what we are trapping before we drink it. And it makes me appreciate the fact that we have a filter. <laughs> our, our, our water filter sits on the sink counter. And the bottom half holds about a gallon or so. And that's the pure water. But the top half is the part where it, it sits until it goes through the filter. And there are times where I have filled that up with cold water. And I will see little things kind of swimming around. And they're not alive, but I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm so glad we have a filter. And then we look at the filter afterwards. And again, I say, I'm so glad we have a filter. You see, pure is something that is untainted. It's, it's clean, fully clean. I also think um, my wife and I have, have painted our house a number of times uh, just over our, our married life because it's far more affordable to paint yourself than have someone else do it. And so we've painted. And there was a time where we were painting our ceiling and it was a white can of ceiling paint and I went and took the steer, uh, stir, steer stick. There we go. I think that's right. Yeah, that stick that you steer it, stir, stir it with. Yeah, with something like that. You know where I'm going. <laughs> took it and I went to go steer it. Stir it. I'm still getting hung up on that one. I move the paint around, all right? <laughs> and as I move the paint around with the stick, it was dirty. And all of a sudden, I realized that that white paint was tainted rather quickly. Paul is saying that you and I need to think about things that are pure, not tainted with evil. Think about things that are pure, Next, there's two more words here. There's the word lovely. Think about things that are lovely. The opposite of lovely is repulsive. Don't think about things that are repulsive. Think about things that are, that are lovely. Um, lovely could be all sorts of things. I, actually, I officiated a wedding here on Friday, and I was reminded about how lovely it was. Why? Because it was two people who love the Lord 
who got married. That was lovely. There was this testimony of God's working in their life. And that was lovely. You know, like, that's lovely. Think about things that are lovely. Don't think about things that are repulsive. The last word is admirable. Another way of saying this is commendable. Commendable. Think about things that are commendable. They're admirable. And then Paul closes that verse by saying, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, these are the things that you should be thinking about. If anything is excellent, if it's praiseworthy, this is the stuff that you should be filling your mind with. You and I fill our mind with things all the time, non-stop. You are seated in a pew or listening online, and you are filling your mind with things right now that I am giving you. Your mind is wrestling with, do I agree with what Nate is saying or not? You are, you are having to take stuff in, and your mind does this nonstop. Sometimes we hear the word purity. I mentioned purity, and we think about the youth, wherever they're seated. And while it's definitely true that youth need to think on things that are pure, that are right, that are lovely, the same is true for each of us, regardless of our age. When, I, when my wife and I sit down with someone for premarital counseling, um, they're usually younger, maybe 21 or 22 or 23 years of age. And this last couple that we did premarital counseling with, I remember talking with them, and we were talking with them about purity. And a lot of times in the church, we think about sexual purity. That's a huge part of it, for sure, sexual purity. Um, but it's not just sexual purity. There's other ways to talk about purity as well. And I just told this young couple, I said, hey, um, you two, are the desire that Kelsey and I always have for any couple that we... Um, officiate for is that they both know Jesus Christ as their Savior and that they're not sleeping together before they get married, but that they would honor what Scripture says regarding that. And so we, we talk with them about that and, and want to hold them accountable to that. And I told this last couple, I said, guess what? When you get married, yes, sexually, and I'm not trying to be embarrassing here for you, but, but sexually, like, you are now to be faithful to each other. But guess what? God still calls me and my wife to be pure. You see, it's not like you get married and then this, all this stuff just goes away. No. I am still fighting a battle for purity. I am still fighting a battle to think about things that are right and true. And you, to the day you die... I know this, though I am not old enough to know this. I know this because I have talked with people. And for the sake of who they are, I will not mention 
names, not that you would know them necessarily, but they have told me until the day I died, or not, it wasn't past tense because that would not work, but they were close to it and they said, I have, to the day, to the present, I have still been fighting a battle in my mind. I am still trying to choose to think about things that are right and true because this mind still wants to play tricks on itself. It still wants to think about things that are not honorable, not true, impure. And so, fellow Christian, until the day we go home to be with the Lord, we continue, men, women, both of us, we are in this together. We are, we are striving for that which is pure. I ask you, in closing, I ask you, are you thinking about that which is true? Are you filling your mind with that which is true? That which is noble, honorable, and pure. The things that Paul says are excellent and praiseworthy. These are the things that are to be applauded. These are the things that we should be thinking about. Are you thinking about that? I am fully aware that how the body of Christ carries out this instruction and applies it to their individual lives differs to some degree. Are you with me? You know people, your own friends, who draw different circles in their life about what is deemed appropriate or inappropriate. Are you with me? You know fellow Christians that say, this movie is okay and this movie is not. And you differ one way or the other. Some people have, have um, positions that are more guarded. Some Christians have positions that are more lenient about what they watch, about what they listen to, about the websites that they, they go on and visit. I am not here to dictate what is right or wrong here. I, I have, again, known Christians that I love and respect who differ. I am not here to dictate what is supposed to be the, the norm other than to say this, God said that we are to think about what is true and pure and noble and excellent and praiseworthy. These are the things that we are to think about. And I don't know how I can think about that if I am filling my mind with garbage. You see, what goes into my mind and what I allow to entertain my mind is going to come out. It is going to go into my mind and it's going to settle and take root in my heart. And then, as Jesus said, it's going to come out of my mouth. And we'll do the same for you. So again, not here telling you what you can and what you can't. 
I'm not here to do that. That is, I believe, a form of legalism. I am here to allow the Spirit of God to do the teaching. And for the Spirit of God to, to work in your heart. And so I just simply ask you the question, what you put into your mind, is this the stuff that the Spirit of God would say, this is okay? Or would you say, you know what, I've become a little bit, I've been sliding a bit. I've been, I've been kind of just sliding down and, and being a little bit un, uncare, not, not very careful here, you know. I, I need to be a bit more guarded here. I've been making excuses about the things that I watch or the things I listen to or even the conversations that I join in in. If that's the case, then allow the Spirit of God to be the teacher. He's the best teacher, isn't he? And just respond to him. Because I desire that your mind would be filled with the right things. When we fill our mind with the right things, guess what happens? I think it's verse 9. The peace of God will be yours. Paul has talked a couple times in this, this letter to the believers in Philippi about peace. It's, it's a reoccurring message. And I think that when we fill our minds with things that are pure and right and lovely, then we have peace. Are you with me? We have peace. If we don't have peace... Maybe it's because we've been filling our mind with the wrong thing. Things that are not true. Guard what goes in your mind. I must do the same. Lord God, help. Help us. Help us here because we we desperately need it. Our minds, though we have been redeemed and though the Spirit of God indwells us, our minds can really fall trapped into thinking things that are not true, that are not lovely, that are impure. And quite honestly, that is really fun for a season, but it leads down a road that is anything but your peace. So, Lord God, if as we are seated here, if we would say there are things that I have been entertaining in my mind that are unhealthy, may we acknowledge that right now. And church family, as we're praying, I just ask you, would you surrender that? Would you seek the Lord's forgiveness in this? And then... Would you seek to fill your mind with that which Paul was saying, this is worth thinking on. Help us here. And as we do so, we will find your peace. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.